Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the number one resource for actors and talent seekers. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage, and I'm here to guide you through every aspect of the entertainment industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. These intimate, inspirational conversations with today's most award-worthy film, television, and theater artists provide you, dear listener, advice on how to live the creative life, personal stories of success and failure alike, and maybe, just maybe, a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. We're on the same team. We're going towards the same goal, which is the truth of this character. And we're both fearless in that, which I also love. And I think that's one of the things Journey and I have bonded so much on is we're fearless. We're going to go. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of In the Envelope. Listen, I am always so delighted to have like an expert, another expert voice from the backstage team join me for these for these episodes. Expert in in many ways, I would say. Uh, and I've just been waiting to introduce you, listeners, to um, today's co-banterer. Welcome, Jalen Michael. How are you? <laughs> I'm great. Uh, thanks so much for uh, having me on here. Finally excited to uh, you know finally get on this. Thing. Finally, um, <laughs> we were going back and forth on like, well, which guests are you excited? Like, which guests are you a quote unquote expert in? And I know you watch a lot of film and TV, but mm-hmm. tell us why you're an expert in today's guests. Because I actually yeah. <laughs> I don't know the specifics. You are a fan of today's guests. Oh yeah, highly. I mean, when you <laughs> brought up the fact that uh, you had these two scheduled, I was like, oh. This is the episode this I definitely have to one. be on. <laughs> okay. But yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, both uh, Misha Green and Journey, I'm such a huge, huge fan of. Lovecraft Country has became pretty easily like my favorite show of the past year. Ah, oh, awesome. So yeah, I mean, definitely excited to give my little expertise <laughs> to uh, <laughs> to these two. <laughs> yeah, and you mentioned, I'm going to bring up our messages here because you said something that, first of all, you provided me some great pointers for questions to ask the two of them. But Journey Smollett, you you said something about um, Misha's writing process. What do you know about about Misha Green as a as a creator? Are you familiar with her other work? Yeah, so um, I also watched a bit of Underground. Yeah. I actually haven't um, finished it yet, but yeah, yeah, no, I mean, just from that work alone, mixed with Lovecraft, I'm just fully on board for anything she does. There you um, go. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, the thing I really love about her specifically is. I mean, just me being a black man, seeing that specific type of voice in these spaces. Yes. Um, yeah, it's just amazing to me. Which we still don't see enough of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's really cool to think about Underground, which Journey Smollett starred on. So the two of them, that was how, mm-hmm. that was their introduction. Isn't it cool to think that's a slavery era story centered mm-hmm. on black people, created by black people. And Lovecraft is kind of in, kind of following that. And that right. it's a similar situation, but it's set in the 1950s. In fact, for listeners who don't know anything about Lovecraft Country, do you want to give like the basics of what it is? It is kind of hard to explain. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. And I mean, I'm probably like the worst person to explain something. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, the basics of it, it's, uh, it's actually originally based off of the book by Matt Ruff. Um, yes. a loose adaptation where mm-hmm. in that book, he takes H.P. Uh, Lovecraft's work and sort of uh, reconstructs it and or deconstructs it rather and repurposes mm. it yeah just to fit specific characters living in the segregated uh jim crow era of america yeah and um yeah i mean it does something really creative that i also got to give like huge huge credit to misha green's voice in that mm-hmm. and like i was saying earlier just giving space to these voices and particularly genres we don't really see like it's got pretty much everything you're uh, sci-fi, your horror, yes. and you know it gives voices to, yeah, just those specific people who are usually pretty passive in these type of genres. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. they take a more active role in Lovecraft, so that's why I just can't stop gushing about it. It's Absolutely, like the best and there's thing ever. so much to dig into. 
I didn't. Yeah. I was vaguely familiar with the works of H.P. Lovecraft, and I know that he sort of created his own like genre of horror. Right. But I had no idea that he was a raging racist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And bigot. So mm-hmm. Lovecraft Country, the novel, and now the series, uh, really takes that on as the inspiration. Yeah, exactly. And especially because, I mean, it's those type of legacies that we see still affecting America today. So, I mean, obviously the show's very timely in that and just how it it just flips everything on its head. Yeah, super, super creative. Yeah, like all good works of art, it's as much about the time period it's it's portraying as it is about today. Yep, exactly, exactly. So anyway, thank you, Jalen. That was a very, I think that, this is a perfect introduction for anyone who doesn't know Lovecraft Country, and now they're going to be excited to hear this conversation between a creator and a star, and we got into some really good stuff about the relationship between those two things. Is there anything else that we should that we should add? I was going to say, because I mean, I know we talked a lot about Misha, but um, Journey as well, she's mm. a very incredible actress, um, mm. someone who's been uh, working in this industry for like quite a long time, but I think most would agree like yeah. this is kind of like her I don't want to say breakout role because she did break out before, but mm-hmm. this is the one that's giving her like a lot of attention. So yeah. It's definitely deserved. Yeah. Are there any updates from your end in terms of what's going on in your backstage neck of the woods? I'm the editorial assistant at Backstage. So um, yeah, that mainly just has, pretty much just entails me to take our print issues and make them look pretty online yeah. for our readers to read. Yeah, I mean, it's a great gig because for me, I'm someone who literally just graduated college in this pandemic. Um, and yeah, I mean, not to brag, but it's like a huge you honor should. just to find. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, just to find a job, period, but to find a job that where it's in an industry that I really love and just really nerd over. Um, yes. So yeah. That's a great, <laughs> that's a great philosophy. That's a great attitude. I mean, nerding over things is is why we at Backstage love doing our jobs. So mm. it's exciting that that was able to continue through through this pandemic. Yeah, yeah, super great. And um, we were just saying it's a light at the end of the tunnel. It's maybe <laughs> almost sort of here. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Fingers we're crossed, almost... we're, we're hanging in there, yeah. We got the movie theaters back, so that's something. Yes, so you'll be back in movie theaters soon. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh yeah, can't wait. I'm going to cry. Whatever it is, I'm going to cry at my first movie theater experience. Just <laughs> maybe trailers, the trailers start playing. And I'm just, <laughs> um, well, thank you, Jalen. This is lovely. And we're going to have you on again soon. And listeners, I'm going to I'm going to keep doing this with everyone in the backstage community. I just want to, um, first of all, not having myself, my own voice nattering on and on and on. But there are so many amazing people backstage with so many different areas of expertise. So thank you, Jalen, for... Yeah joining the yeah. uh, little In the Envelope family. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Just so glad this was able to happen. Yeah, and now we will take listeners to this interview with Journey Smollett and Misha Green. Hey, if you are an actor or an aspiring actor, someone at the beginning of your artistic career, and you haven't signed up for Backstage yet and you don't know how it works, I have good news for you. Backstage is offering 30 whole days completely free just for our In the Envelope listeners. If you visit backstage.com slash subscribe and enter the code envelope, you will have full access to the site where you can make a profile, upload a headshot, upload a reel, start applying to the thousands of casting notices uploaded every single day on the world's number one casting platform. Again, we are giving listeners of this podcast 30 days completely free to try out Backstage. Go to checkout, that's backstage.com slash subscribe and enter the code envelope if you want to be in contention for an emmy or for an oscar or for a tony or for a sag award do as many of the guests on this podcast have suggested and use backstage we are here for you again free 30-day trial backstage.com slash subscribe enter the code envelope Writer-director-producer Misha Green is all of the above and the showrunner of HBO's award-winning drama Lovecraft Country, and the creative force behind Helix, Underground, and the upcoming Cleopatra Jones and Tomb Raider 2. Journey Smollett began her career as a child actor on On Our Own and Full House, then Eve's Bayou, The Great Debaters, Friday Night Lights, and last year's Birds of Prey, and has collaborated with Misha on Underground and Lovecraft Country. Here are Misha Green and Journey Smollett. 
Okay. Thank you guys so much. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to talk to you guys, especially um, both of you together. I'm so not tired of talking about Lovecraft Country. I hope you are. I hope you are both. And I'm sure you are both in the same boat. <laughs> yes, of course. Never. Never. Yeah. Talk. I'm tired. Sorry, guys. I'm so tired of talking about it. But no, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no, I can talk round. about. I can you're talk round. about Lovecraft and Letty all day long. Yeah. Cool. Well, and of course, you've both spoken backstage, and you you are familiar with uh, who we are and what we do. But um, I'm a huge fan of backstage. Are you kidding me? I'm so excited to have you both, and I have so many questions, and I don't know where to begin. But first of all, how are you both? Oh, that's probably the hardest question we'll answer <laughs> <laughs> this entire podcast. Yeah. It's such yeah. like I don't know when that question will ever become. Um, normal again. I mean, yeah. fuck, man. It's like, sorry, I cuss. Um, I will watch my language. Oh, go but, for it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, re I don't know when I will, when we will return to a state of norm normalcy in which that question won't be so loaded. I mean, we're experiencing yeah. such collective grief in the world. We are battling multiple pandemics. Yeah, you know, white supremacy and COVID. Oh, yeah. And the patriarchy. So, yeah, man, I don't, I am breathing. So that's where yes. I'm at. That's how I am. I'm currently breathing. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> we should talk about Lovecraft. And I really wanted to use this as an opportunity to really get at the kind of relationship between writer, director, creator types, showrunners specifically for TV and actors. Um, so to start off, Misha and Journey, what do you think is the ideal kind of relationship or how do you maximize collaboration uh, in front of and then behind the camera? Um, yeah, I mean, I think iron sharpens iron. And so I think mm -hmm. what um, I find with my some of my favorite collaborators, and I'll speak about Misha and being my favorite so far. Um, is, so far. <laughs> I knew that would get her. <laughs> wow. Mind you, I've worked for, for my entire life. But anywho, no, I think what's so fruitful about our um, creative relationship is that word right there, collaboration. Mm -hmm. um, it is the, the spirit of... Um, I don't know. It's 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 the ability to bring your whole self, your entire creative being, okay, mm. allowing your entire for me as an actress, allowing my entire emotional life, right, to have full access to my instrument. And then bringing that to these words that she has created. So it's it's almost like we talk a lot about this this idea that Misha um, plants the seeds, right? Hmm. And then we, me as the actor or the other actors, we have to bring that to life. We have to bring, we have to breathe life into those words, but we are nothing without the words. Actors hmm. are nothing without, um, a beautiful script, beautiful words, things that are spoken and not spoken. Right. So she's created a whole life that we have to, to give birth to. Um, and I think with M Misha and I, we've done three seasons of television mm. together. And she's smiling because I always like to talk about how rocky it started off um, mm. with season one of Underground. Um, and I think what we have learned over the course of our collaboration is to really just be as honest as we can you know, with each other as authentic as we can, you know, it's, there are moments when we disagree. There are moments when we're not clear on the intention and it's, it's not about always agreeing. It's just about, okay, how do we just find our way to the truth? Cause that's mm -hmm. our goal with anything is just, how do we tell the truth of this character of the story? Um, and, you know, I, I have so much respect for this woman, right? You know, she she will push you to be your best self. She will push mm. you as an artist. And that's what you're hungry for in your mm. director, in your captain, in your showrunner. You just want them to push you to grow. 
And that's what she does. She forces you to step outside of your comfort zone. And right when you think you've hit your limit, it's like, oh, no, no, no. I see that there's more in there. Let's go again. Wow. <laughs> you know, and it's awesome. It's really, really thrilling and exhilarating to have that sort of visceral experience in a collaborator who's like, no, we are not there yet. Right. Mm. Um, and we're just constantly digging. So, you know, I I think she has such a gift for for using the art of storytelling to illuminate the souls of Black folks. And as a Black woman, a Black artist, it's just so rare to, um, you know, find a collaborator like that. Mm. Beautiful. And Misha, how do you think about actors? I think in the opposite way of that. Mm. Not necessarily the opposite in conjunction with that. I think that it's a very, trust is a very big thing. I think that when I first went into this, I was like, oh, why would you work with the same people over and over again? There's so many people to work with. And now I'm like, I see the value in that because you built that trust and you come back project after project and you're able to push further and go further and go deeper because all of that surface level stuff is done. So it's like we come, we came into after doing Underground, we came into Lovecraft Country and it was seamless in that mm -hmm. way of like, okay, we know. We know that we trust each other already. So we can now go to the scary parts. And for me, I'm like, that's what I'm doing in my writing on the page. I'm going, okay, that's the surface. Where's the scary parts? Let's go to the scary parts. And to do that, you have to have people you can collaborate with and people you trust. And I think that is the joy of Lovecraft Country for me, at least, is like, I get to level up and then Journey is there to level up with me. And mm. so you can go into these trenches, you know, if you think of it as like a war and be like, okay, let's tackle it. Like, we're not gonna run from this. We're gonna go into it. And it's never easy, but when you have that trust built mm. over projects, it becomes safer. Yeah, when you have that trust built and it and it takes, as you're saying, it takes maybe multiple, it takes a long time of collaborating. I don't wanna, I'm not asking for juicy gossip here, but when you say you got off to a rocky start, is, is that just in reference to like two collaborators meeting together for the first time and, and learning from each other and adjusting to each other's styles? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Let's call it that. That sounds good. Yeah, I mean, we got off to a rocky start. The We've said this many times at this point. Like the joke was that it'd be a scene with Journey and everybody be like, oh, we're not starting for 20 minutes because Misha and Journey will be arguing about the scene for at least 20 minutes. And that, again, was understanding that our our processes are so similar, you know, and I think mm -hmm. it was building that trust to be like, you're here to make something dope and out of the box. And I'm here to do this too. And we don't have to fight against each other to make that happen. Mm -hmm. Whereas typically I think we might've been on sets before where we did have to fight to make that happen. And so we weren't, we were coming in ready to do that battle because I cared so much about Underground and she cared so much about the character of Rosalie and the show Underground that it was like, we can't mess this up. This is too sacred to mess it up. And so we were coming in going, are you the enemy? And sure. quickly we found, oh, you're not. Oh, you're actually not the enemy. Yeah. And is that quote unquote conflict, I'm putting conflict in quotes, like that creates the trust, right? Because it's actually better to not shy away from this is what I think this needs to be. Let's let's hash it out, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, constructive conflict is always good. I think that mm. people are afraid of that. But once again, I think once 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 you realize it's we're on the same team, we're going towards the same goal with the truth of this character, and we're both fearless in that, which I also love. And I think that's one of the things Journey and I have bonded so much on is we're fearless. We're going to go. Like it might fuck up our whole lives, but we're gonna go there. And so that to me is always exciting because that's where you get the tingly feeling and you're like, ooh, this feels new and I don't like it, but that's the point. Yep. The tingly feeling, yes. 
I almost feel like a lot of this podcast is about like, how do you get to the tingly feeling? Like what are the processes that get you there? Um, you guys have worked together with, okay, so Civil War era story, slavery, now 1950s era Jim Crow. Is there a project down the line that is present day or in the future, the two of you? <laughs> this is my way of asking about Lovecraft Country season two, by the way. <laughs> There's always a project down the line, you know? Is it, it's, 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 sure. Yes, that's the simple <laughs> answer, yes. Yeah. Because that that tingly feeling you said is about is about generating something new and exciting, and that's what I mean, of course every moment of Lovecraft Country was. So okay, let's get into it. Like how so how did we, how did you both get involved in this project? Is usually how this is asked. But Misha, how did you how did you pitch this idea to the powers that be? It wasn't very hard to pitch it because Get Out had just come out. So everybody was clamoring to work with Jordan. So I just slid right in being like, yeah, hi, Jordan, right? Yes, make a show, cool. Um, so that wasn't the hard part at all. I think the hard part came around when they went, oh, wait, Jordan's not doing this, you're doing it? Oh, you know, so that's where the convincing and all that stuff. And it's a huge show and I wanted it to be a big show. So it was very much like, yeah, you're going to we spend it, spend the money. This is going to be dope. It's going to be great. Yeah. And Journey, do you, do you remember what were your first impressions or like, did you did you receive a script and start thinking about Letty right away? Well, season two of Underground had just finished airing and it was canceled and Misha was actively yeah. trying to find a home for season three. And while that was happening, she was, she went off to write the pilot, which I, I kid you not, she, honestly, she locked herself in her apartment, not literally, but stayed away from friends and everyone for mm. what felt like three weeks and came back and had this pilot. And the version that we shot of the pilot is very much so the version that she wrote in those three weeks, which is wild. But so she sent long. it to me, not with me. And, you know, she sent it to me in a very like casual way of like, okay, so this is what I was working on. Not like, oh, I've got a role for you. I want you to take a look at it. Mm. And I didn't really know that there was a role. Uh, I, I knew more so about the book being a, about you know, Atticus, um, but I hadn't read the book or anything. So when I read the script, I just instantly first, the first few pages just made me miss her writing, you know, um, mm. the, the big eventful, bold way of opening it with this Korean war vet and, and, you know, the Jackie Robinson bat hitting the monsters. I was like, Oh, the show I'm in, I'm sold. I can't wait to watch it. And then, you know, the references about the passing another bridge with another dead slave owner on it. I, I was like, okay, Misha, she's, you know, I love, I, I miss her writing. And then when I got to Letty, I was like, wait, huh? Who's this? What's happening? And in that first scene, I just remember like my jaw was open because you learn, first of all, you learn so much about this woman in the very first scene that you meet her, which is mm. so impactful when writers are capable of doing that. You learn that she has a bond with her sister because she sings and dances with her. And yet she's flighty and drifts around the world and her sister doesn't hear from her for months on end. So she, she has this weird abandonment stuff going on. And I was like, ooh, what's that? Then you mm -hmm. learn that she can't afford to buy stockings, but yet has dreams of buying a house in an all-white neighborhood mm -hmm. and pioneering. And, <laughs> and she didn't go to her mother's funeral. And she clearly has shame about it. And I was like, whoa, there's so many contrasting ideas packed into this one scene packed into this woman. And those are the kind of characters I respond to are the ones who have these really interesting contradictions. Um, personally, I think, you know, the characters that are who they are on the outside and they're the same way on the inside are pretty boring to yeah. play as an, as an actor. Mm. Um, and so I was instantly obsessed with Letty and finished the script and thought to myself, why is Misha not offering me this role, like, you know, what's going on? And 
kid you not, started losing sleep about it. Um, uh. And which was wild is like, I was being offered so many shows at the time because of the critical success um, around Underground. And I was okay. sending Misha some of the scripts being like, what do you think about this show? Like, this could be a good one. And each show she was like, nah, Journey's trash. You can't do it. Nope, you need to just go and do films, forget TV. I'm thinking, why is she telling me forget TV when she's got this phenomenal role here? Like, it, it really started messing with my ego. I'm not gonna lie, with my confidence. I mean, I was losing sleep. <laughs> Spoken like a true actor, yes. Spoken like a very crazy, wacky, vulnerable actor, yeah. yeah. Um, and then finally came around and and she, uh, you know, called me and was like, okay, so I want you to go and meet with Yann Demange, our director, and... Bye. That was a conversation. <laughs> she oh, I see. <laughs> yeah. And um, it was actually JJ. I was in his office prior to Misha even saying she was interested. He was like, I think you should do Lovecraft Journey. And I was like, dude, I think so too. But Misha oh, cool. has not talked to me about it. And I'm like losing sleep about it, you know? Um, <laughs> so yeah, the rest is history. I became very obsessed and just dove into researching the world and all that sort of stuff. Um, as a result, once she offered it to me. That's wonderful. And that actually segues perfectly into how do you both approach um, research in general, but I guess specifically for this this project, like Misha as a writer, and then Journey in order to fill out Letty, maybe her backstory, like how much are you both um, looking at history and what kind of materials, what kind of sources are you are you looking at for research? Anything and everything. You know, I feel like... Um... Matt Ruff had done a lot of great research for the book. So he sent me all of that and all the books he read. So that was a great jumping off point to read about sundown towns, to read about all of the stuff he had filled the world in. It was kind of like a little cheat sheet. And then just building off of that, looking at old magazines, Gordon Parks photos, like getting into the vibe of what it felt like. And then there was also the old, all of the genre research, which, for me, it was old hat, but for our writer's room, you know, we had to be watching movies. We had to be reading books so we could have all those genre references as well mm. coming in. And then you just, you know, at the end of the day, it's a story about a family, this family trying to survive in America during Jim Crow. And so you're also just excavating yourself and being like, what is it like to live in America as a Black person right now? And you're bringing all that into it as well. So it's just anything and everything you can steal from, that's how I operate, where I'm just like, ooh, that was cool. Let me put that in there. Awesome. And Journey? Yeah, um, much uh, very similar to what Misha was saying. You know, for me, it was it was about filling myself up so much with Letty's world. And so knowing everything about the 1950s that I could get my hands on, right? So um, I read random books about segre uh, segregation in pools. Um, mm -hmm. I read, you know, about a lot of Black women during that time, artists and writers and activists, um, everyone from Gwendolyn Brooks' poetry to Lorraine Hansberry. Um, obviously, James Baldwin was a huge must-read um, for all of us. Um, yeah, you know, the the pop culture of that time is very interesting, too, because it still was so segregated. So you had the magazines, the fashion magazines, the Harper's Bazaar or have you, you know, the Vogue's of the world. But you also had these really beautiful publications for black women. Um, Hugh. I mean, I mean. And so I did a lot of research on like the fashion and the style. And then of course, like Gordon Parks and the photography was very informative. There was a book called Unseen that was um, really helpful for me. It was a, a book of photographs of just black folks in everyday life, um, mm. which was important to fill myself up with the images of, of who we are and were. But then also, it, yeah, it was a lot of, inspecting my own personal um, life and my own lineage. My grandmother was a big influence in um, just some of, the, some of the specificity I tried to bring to Letty um, 
was inspired by my grandmother. So cool. Um, old pictures I had of her, stories my mother or my auntie told me about her growing up. Yeah, and so it's really about how specific can you get? How how much can you fill yourself with the inner world of the character? Because by the time you get on set, you can think like the character, you can behave like the character, you can walk like the character. I have... Um, I'm honestly most comfortable in sweats, <laughs> right? <laughs> like I'm not the woman that is putting on high heels every single day unless uh -huh. I'm like, oh, I'm getting dressed up and blah, blah, blah. And so um, it was, it was for me interesting just in how black folks back in the 1950s chose to express their dignity through clothes hmm. um, and how much of, and how much an extension of their pride it was, you know, you, you wouldn't go outside looking like we look nowadays. Okay. Like sure. not back in the day, my grandmother cleaned homes for white folks and every single morning would press her dress, put makeup on and do her hair. And it was her way of saying, fuck you. You're not going to rob me of my dignity. Like mm. I'll clean your toilet fine, but I'm gonna look good doing it. Yeah. Um, and I have control over, um, my dignity. You can't, I'm, it's not for sale, right? Mm. Um, and so it was important to get that right with Letty. Like she could be broke, but you know she could have made this outfit from some curtains. No, she couldn't have. <laughs> you know, she knew how to sew. Um, she's a creative. She's a photographer. Um, and so yeah, it, Misha's Misha's um, script had so much of a blueprint already there. There's mm. so many clues that you could pick up on. Um, you know, for me, I always look at the choices the characters make, not so much what they say, because I, I think like true characters revealed when they're forced to make a choice under oh, pressure. Um, and so those are the, that's how I kind of create a roadmap mm -hmm. on, um, what their inner world is like. The roadmap is actually, I want to ask about that too, because, um, I love that you just said the images fill you up because that's the subconscious like inspiration to create your character, but by extension, like this whole world. Um, talk to me about character arcs, because I feel like for specifically TV, not for a film or even a play, which has a beginning, middle, end done, a TV, you guys didn't necessarily know, like Letty changes from the first draft of the first script, right, to filming the season finale, for example. So this speaks again to the collaboration, but like, how how did you guys chart her roadmap? How did you both together and apart <laughs> um, think about the choices that Letty makes on this journey? Well, for me as an actor, it's not important for me to know where she goes. It's actually better that, a, that I only know the now, what we're yeah. working on now. So if, cool. if episode 10 is in 10 months or a year or whatever, why would I need to know that, right? Yeah. Like the more I can stay present in the reality of her life now, I think for me as an actor, the better. And Misha's very good in being so secretive. She doesn't like telling us actors what's happening before we need to know. Mm. Although she did send us more scripts this time around. They had altered scripts. No, we did not. Oh my gosh, Misha. <laughs> not have all 10 scripts. But here's the thing. I will say, I do like to keep some of it a secret because I do think that actors are really great at their jobs. And even if they have 10 scripts, they know how to parcel it out and to live in the moment in the first place. So it's not about that. It's just in TV, things change sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it's like, so you don't want to be moving towards something the actor thinks we're moving towards. And then we have to end up changing that because we can't get that set after all. And then everything's different. So that's part of the secrecy for me. Um, but also it's about letting the actor fill up themselves. I think that if I answer too many questions, it's going to be what I only what I've thought of. And I go, that's the last That's the last thing we should go to is only what I've thought of. Like, that's the whole point of collaboration. It's like everybody's supposed to be bringing their ideas and their best ideas. So when working with actors, that's what I feel like too, where I'm like, I know the scene. I could act out every part. I know every piece of dialogue. It also 
often gets irritating on set, I think, for directors, because I'm like, that's not actually supposed to go there, guys. Sorry. Um, but sure. I'm like, we can do it. I can do it just for you and telling you every single thing that should be. I could tell you all the motivations. I could tell you why I've made up that she has an aunt that does this. But that is not my job. That's the mm. actor's job to fill the person in. And so that's why I'm like, uh, you don't always have to have all the information because what mm -hmm. comes out of not having all that information is so much better than having all that information. That is pure gold. And is it true also, Misha, like the job of any producer type, really any creator or showrunner working in entertainment behind the camera is about knowing what isn't your job as much as what is? Yeah. I mean, I think collaboration is, there's so many things that aren't my job. I'm not the costumer. I'm not the actor. I'm not the lighting person. Like all of these things are not my jobs. It's my job to leave room for you to be your best self in those, to bring something, to say, here's the gist of what we're doing, but you can show me something different. You know, you can tell me if it's something realer or better than this or doper than this, I'm all for it. And I think the same into what, it's in the character arc. It's like, you can have the base arc. I'm going, she's going from performative to her real self. But I would never tell Journey that. Gotcha. You know what I mean? I'm like, if Journey isn't finding that on the page, there's something wrong on the page. Sure. Or she's come to a different conclusion that is just as valid. No, I think if it's not, because oh, no. I mean, as a writer, you should be telling a story and it should have an you art from like getting gotcha. to yeah. end. And if it's not clear on the page, then there's something that needs to change on the page. If if Journey's coming and then being like, at the end of this, I'm over here being like, I'm more performative than I was in the start, then you're going, ooh, okay. what didn't I write right in this? Okay, so it is about calibrating what you intended versus what the actor then interprets. Because if it's way off base, then you have to kind of backpedal a little bit. But sometimes you're like, yeah. oh, this is an interesting path, but you still have to make sure it's the right path, you know? Yeah. And were there instances of that journey, like of saying, I see um, this scene ending or this maybe episode ending this way, and it was then at odds and either things got rewritten or rejiggered? Um, no, I can't think of any instances like that. Um, but I, I can, I mean, I think Misha has been able to find the balance in not in writing, but not overwriting also. Mm. Um, and, you know, for instance, there's room for us to, to make it our own. Yeah. There's room for us to find beats or find moments that maybe aren't on the page. And it's like, Ooh, ah, uh, eh. uh, right. <laughs> you know? Um, and then when we do it, she'll catch it and be like, okay, we gotta go back. Let's, I love that. Let's do that. Right. Yeah. Um, cool. and that's just magic. You gotta leave room for magic, you yeah. know, to come into the room. Um, and, and I, I think for me as an actor, that's just, it goes back to filling myself up, you know, like it, it goes back to all the work, all the invisible work that I have to do. You know, all the conscious work I have to do in my room or in my apartment, wherever I am. Um, so that by the time I step into her shoes, it's invisible and it's unconscious. Right. Um, and, and just trust, you know, you got to just trust your instinct. You got to just mm. trust your instrument. Yeah, so there was never a moment where it's like, okay, Misha, this blah, blah, blah. We, of course we have moments where it's like, oh, this is unclear to me. Okay, this don't make sense yeah. to me. Or why is she doing this? You know, we have ongoing debates about choices and <laughs> we still debate some things. Literally be debating a choice from season one of Underground still being like, yeah. well, here's why. And then here's what, but then this, but what, when that came in, <laughs> Literally, Misha and I debated probably for an hour a choice that happens in episode 10. We debated it recently and still still don't see eye to eye about it. But it's like she, at the end of the day, is the showrunner. She, It is her vision, right? And yeah. so... Also, I'm usually right. I just want to point that wow. out. Wow, 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 wow. <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> but that's why it all comes back to trust and this idea of like... I love the idea of not overwriting or writing just the right amount so that you're trusting that the actor will 
will get it right and will be able to provide that extra ooh so that you can then like imbue that. Well, yeah, she's hired um, us to do a job. Like, yeah, I mean, there's in the writer's room, I would say, you know, I'd be like, take out, they cry. If the scene isn't making them cry, you writing they one. cry doesn't mean yeah. anything. Like, I'm like, you can put it there in times when it's like, oh, we need to, uh, we need to understand that this needs to be emotional. But I feel like mm. that's a thing where I'm like, if you're, if the characters, if the moments aren't getting you to a space and you're just writing, they cry. Like that's the worst thing for an actor because the actor's going to be sitting there being like, why am I crying? Why? Yeah. Or the actor, sometimes I've watched like you're, you're putting pressure on achieving that and you're losing, you're losing, um, your touch with what you're actually just feeling. You're trying to reach that goal. And I hate it. It is literally, I've never wanted to, to um, remove a director from set more than when a director once told me, um, yeah, and so then you're gonna go here and then the waterworks will start. And I just wanted to be like, please leave. I like don't want you here. I don't want to be told about waterworks, first of all. I'm not a faucet. I'm not a puppet. Like, I'm an actual person. Mm. And, <laughs> you know, I'm. my job is to just communicate the truth. Um, this might be a tangent, but I, I think it's also directly relevant to what you were just talking about. Green screen acting. How does it work? What is the advice? How much of it, because in my head, I've never been on a set that involves lots of green screen. I imagine Misha is there saying, this is what you're seeing. This is what you're looking at. And Journey's there going, okay, and like nodding her head and, and, and imagining it. Um, <laughs> you know, how does it work? Isn't that the ultimate, it seems to me like the ultimate test of faith of this collaboration? Well, with this, it was, um, yeah, we did, a, we did a lot of green screen work. Um, I, can, I can recall instances, especially in episode two, um, me, Jonathan and uh, Courtney, Atticus, Uncle George, Letty, you know, with the monsters, the Shagoths, right? They're, mm -hmm. They had different um, ways of helping us get there, which I was appreciative of them for working so hard, the special effects team. They, you know, oftentimes a lot of green screen work, you're acting to, you're responding to an X <laughs> or a, yeah. a tennis ball or something. I mean, with this, they had... Sometimes they had cutouts of the Shagoth or they had like puppets of the Shagoth. And so it's like, you know, they had a guy sometimes just in a, a, a green suit and he put a Shagoth head on <laughs> and the mouth would open when he's supposed to be screaming. And then they blow air in your face as, you know, or Misha really wanted spit to sometimes be blown yes. in our face. Um, and, and, Really, for me as an actor, the way I approach it, it's play. You know, you got to commit a hundred thousand percent. And it's just a it's a wonderful opportunity to access your imagination. Mm -hmm. um, we do it as kids. Right. You know, kids are the best actors to me when not when they're on set necessarily, but like when they're in their room and they're playing family or they're playing um, with their dinosaurs or or something like they're accessing their real pure imagination and they create a whole world. And so with, with this type of work, that's all it requires is trusting your imagination and committing a hundred percent, not feeling embarrassed. Like, but again, you gotta have an environment in which the captain has created a level of safety, a level for you to fail big. And that's not just with, green screen work. That's with sex scenes. That's with, mm -hmm. you know, big, intense scenes like the exorcism scene, but it's with the real intimate scenes too. It's like, you just need to feel safe on set, mm -hmm. which I, I have to give Misha credit because she definitely is um, relentless in providing a safe environment for us actors. It's crucial. Yeah. I um, This was my first time dealing with big VFX like this. And I was like, oh, eye lines. Eye lines are key. It doesn't gotcha. matter what's going on if no one's looking at the same thing. Not going to be able to use that take. And I think that 
from watching, I remember what movie was it? It was like some earthquake movie where it was very clear to me that they had told the actors it was going to be like a little crack in the ground. And then they added like a massive crack in the ground. So I think it's communicating what this monster looks like and understanding what is going to be placed there, even if it is just a cardboard cutout right now. And I think that's part of like the air blasters and spittle and that stuff, anything that's tangible. I'm a huge fan of practical effects. So anything that's tangible, like the walls in the um, exorcism scene actually shook and it just heightens Mm. everything in the moment. And it's like, cause that is also a thing. It's like, there's a whole lot of, I can write on a page what it's going to be And then an actor can think about what it's going to do and research it. But then you're in the moment with the clothes on in the space and it's a whole different vibe. And so I feel like any elements you can add into, I'm always on doing that instead of doing CGI. Love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's super. This is all super cool to hear to hear about from both of you. I want to ask like the big question. I want to ask here we are in 2021. We're still in a pandemic. Oh, but as Journey said at the beginning of this interview, multiple pandemics. Can we speak to the multiple pandemics? Can we speak to why representation in media matters? Every Everything about Lovecraft Country from that first amazing scene to, you know, the very premise itself is, is predicated on challenging archetypes, stereotypes. I think, you know, expanding the definitions of Hollywood of what is so many different kinds of storytelling. And of course, you've both spoken about this before, but like, where are we at? What is the state of the industry? Do you do you have um, are you optimistic about how things are changing in terms of representation in film and TV? I mean, simply no. I'm not optimistic. Okay. You know, I'm not optimistic when I still hear things that's like this is the first SAG nominated ensemble that's predominantly African American, and you're just like, huh? How long has TV existed? How is that even possible? How is this the first time that's happening and I'm supposed to applaud that? Yeah. It's tough. It's it's really tough. On some, some days I feel very encouraged and optimistic and excited about where we're heading. You know, when, when I see the work um, being created by very um, disruptive creatives, you know, um, I get very excited, you know, but then there are days, today is a, is a day where I'm not feeling so <laughs> optimistic. Um, so, you know, just know that in advance. But I, I think, yeah, it is it is frustrating when you're living in 2021 and you are still dealing with first. It is disruptive. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is frustrating when we are still feeling like there is a system that needs to be disrupted. I mean, when we still are all operating within the patriarchy, within white supremacy, and we are trying to swim out of it, we are trying to disrupt it, defund it, de-escalate it, whatever, you know? Um, And some days we have victories and some days we have some setbacks. I do believe we are headed in the right direction. We have so much work to do. We have, we are still dealing with, this idea that normalizing our stories is radical. Yeah. I mean. And then needs to be celebrated every time it happens, like you're saying, yeah. It's just like, come on, these these, these conversations, these questions, in, it's indicative of how far we've got to go. You know, when yeah. we as others still have to be talking about like, you know, the others are getting there, you know, it's just. yeah. It's frustrating, but I still believe in the work and I believe in continuing to press on and creating counter narratives to the dominant narrative, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I I feel incredibly proud of work like Lovecraft Country because it, it does deconstruct these classic genres and it is disruptive. Yeah. Yeah, and to be clear, I think that's why, like I, as an interviewer of artists like you both, I don't want to have to <laughs> put you guys on the spot with that question. I think it's because we're, t- we're here talking about Lovecraft Country that 
that that in, invites this conversation. Uh, it is better to have the conversation than not. Would we agree? Hi, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Um, one, because I'm sick of having the conversation. Yeah. You know, I feel like it's that thing where I'm like, the onus is no longer on the people who are oppressed to have this conversation and Absolutely. to explain what it's like to constantly have to be in terms of the first, you know what I mean? But yeah. the alternative is that I do, the alternative is not attainable either because I do strongly believe that Hollywood is our bigoted, biggest narrative telling machine that we have in the world. Yes. And as people, we all define ourselves by narrative. We all can say, I saw this movie, I saw this TV show, and then I spent the next decade of my life thinking I was Buffy Summers inside. You know what I mean? So I understand how impactful it is. Like when people say to me, it's not brain surgery. I'm like, yes, it is because it's teaching us all how to think. And we can look at just our situation in America with the cops right now. And it's like, yeah. look at all of the shows that have made it cool for cops to have military like machine guns and trucks and all that stuff. And it's like, we can say, oh no, you can't blame the art, but it's like, it's not art, it's commerce. And that commerce has helped with this terrible situation we are in right now, where we think yeah. we have to give $3 billion to the cops, which we don't, yeah. we really don't. And so to me, it's like, it's that other side of the coin where I'm like, yeah, we have to have the conversations because the other version of it doesn't work either where we don't have the conversations because we haven't been having them for a very long time and look where we're at. So. Yes. That's such, thank you so much for bringing, that's such an important point that Hollywood should not be underestimated. It it, it directly affects, it affects policy. It affects the, it affects the world. Like it's, just, it's yeah. the biggest narrative system. And again, we, our entire lives are best based on the stories we tell ourselves and Hollywood is teaching us how to tell stories. And that's, that's a power, which is the power of the media that everyone has known for centuries. Um, so it's important. It's important to have these conversations. I'm just personally sick of them. Totally. Yeah. Thank you both for going there because I know it's relevant to, to the advice. So, Obviously, I have to let you both go soon, but um, what is the advice for early career actors and early career behind the camera types? Either early career aspiring, you know, how do you at the very beginning of your career imitate maybe uh, or emulate the artists you admire and, and continue on that path? I think you don't. You don't want to imitate them. Okay. You want to study. You want to um, fill yourself up with the craft as much as you can and craftsmen and women that you um, get inspired by, that you relate to, that you respect, study. I, I'm a big believer in reading biographies and, you know, learning about how the trailblazers of the past did it, but your path is your path and they're not stepping into the roles you're going to take and they're not having to do the self-tape auditions that you have to do and um, deal with the agents you're going to deal with. So I think um, just getting in tune with your own voice, your own very unique approach to your craft is where you'll find the gold. Um, there's no blueprint, you know. Right. I, I just, I'm always a person that just results back to study. You don't need permission from anybody to to be an actor. You can act in your motherfucking living room. Love that. Very cool. And Misha, what do you tend to tell, do, do you get asked for the early career advice often by people who want to do it? Yes. What do I tell them? Well, it's, it's a different writing. I say write, you know, I say read, read a lot, read a lot and write a lot. I hmm. think reading scripts is really important. I, it's an art form. You know, I think sometimes I'll read a script and I'll be like, oh, you don't actually like to write. You like to make uh -oh. movies, but you don't like to write. Mm. What is the difference of, between someone who likes to make a movie and someone, 
Sorry, Jack, I'm asking questions, but- Oh, I love it. I was like, you can't ask questions, so this is what you do it. Please do. (laughs) Um, I think the difference is that someone who likes to make movies and they don't like to write is that they leave a lot of the work for the actors to do on set. Mm, mm. And you can tell that when you read a scene where you're like, the scene is about nothing. Mm-hmm. But you know you'll get some good actors in it. You'll have great production design and you'll figure it out. And then an editor will come and make the story for you and edit it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I feel like it has to first be made on the page. Mm-hmm. Then it has to be made in production. And then it has to be made again in the editing room. And I feel like if you don't do all those processes, you get a movie that's not much of anything. And so I feel like you can you can see it on the page when they're like, oh, they'll do they'll do it on production side and then they'll do it in the editing room. And this monologue that means nothing, the actor will find a meaning in it. (laughs) And that's the thing. It's like really good actors will find a meaning in it. Like I've seen things where I'm like, that was nothing. And you just turned it into something. Wow. And you can also get really di- directors who will turn nothing into something. Sure. But for me, I'm like, it starts on the page. Like I said, I'm like, if we shoot exactly what's on the page, exactly as it's written, we will have a good movie. And that's my job as the writer. And then you let that go to the next stage and you're supposed to build upon it. And so mm-hmm. read, write and read scripts because there's turn of a phrases and scripts that you're like, oh, that invokes an actor something. And you have to find that on the page, the way to do that, to make them go, oh, I'm understanding. This mm-hmm. is the vibe of what it's supposed to be. It's so interesting because from an actor's perspective, it's like you sometimes have to make gold out of shit. You know? Um, oh yeah. You could be in a movie where the movie is great for all the other characters. <laughs> and you're yep. cast as nurse number two, right? Yep. And she just comes in and you're like, what? you know, there's not much here, but it's the actor's job to get in there and build a whole motherfucking life for nurse number two. Give her a name, her name's Elaine. You know, give her a birthday. What kind of sheets does she like to sleep on? You know, and, <laughs> and it's, so as an actor, it's like we're constantly approaching it from that point of view of like, oh no, I gotta, I have to, I have to bring this to life. I have to elevate it, you know? It, and um, that's why it's so refreshing when you do get to work with scripts and words, like, you know, words in Lovecraft, because it is unfortunately rare. It is rare to find stuff that you don't have to rework and, and, and improvise and like, you know, do all the shit, pull out all the extra tricks to make it gold. I've already done that. <laughs> That's me in my house being like, let me, okay, what's the dialogue? What's the scene? Where they're coming from? What What are they fighting over? What do they really mean? But they're not going to ever say that. Hmm. And I feel like a lot, that's what I I um, try to impart as my advice is that it's a lot of work. So yeah. read a lot, read a lot and write a lot. That's so wonderful. And Journey, the actor's job is to, of course, you're bringing you're bringing your full life to every character, no matter how small the character. And the idea is to find the balance between overwritten, like you said earlier, and nurse number two with nothing nothing going on. And sometimes, you know, <laughs> nurse number two got nothing going on. Sometimes. Yeah, but she can make it. Nope, she can make it. That nurse number two can walk into that patient's room. And nurse number two, where was she coming from? Did she just eat a spoiled lunch? Did her boyfriend just break up with her? Like, where is she really coming from? You know, and that nurse number two, Elaine, can bring, can walk into that room and you'll be like, I don't know what it is about nurse number two, Elaine. I mean, she literally just gave, gave this woman her medication and yet she killed it. That is like the magic of acting right there, totally. Thank you both so much for bringing, that's just, this is pure advice gold. And I think any actor, any behind the camera artist is gonna get so much out of this. So thank you both so much. I was just putting together our um, our annual, like first roles of the Oscar nominated actors. Viola Davis's first on camera role was a nurse. She played a nurse in Substance of Fire. Like that's gotta no, be the No, let me tell you, like, if you watch Viola Davis's body of work, I mean, 
of course, doubt is probably the the biggest, um, clearest example of her just coming in for a few scenes and totally bringing an entire wealth of history into this character. That I, I can't tell you how many times I've watched that scene with her in Meryl Streep. I mean, it is a masterclass. If anyone wants to to learn about acting, watch Viola Davis in Doubt. She outacts Meryl in that scene. So which should I point out I have not seen this movie? <laughs> um, <laughs> Did you guys see Ma Rainey's? Absolutely, absolutely. It's, you know, it's stunning work. It's stunning work. That's she cool. can, she, you, it's a masterclass in just watching her drink the Coke. Okay, like <laughs> the oh, f- yeah. you she does in drinking that Coke. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's yeah. brilliant. She made the Coke like a co-character in this scene, yeah. But there's so much to the Coke than just drinking the Coke. It's not about the Coke. It is, it's a power struggle, right? It's, yeah. it's so much more. She's going to take her motherfucking time and drink this Coke, and she's not going to record one piece of lyric until she, until she finishes this Coke. It is, you know, I could talk about Viola Davis all day Me long. Me too. Oh, my God. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you guys both so much. And now it's time to hear from Christine McKenna-Torella, our backstage casting insider. I will let her take it away. Hi guys, Christine McKenna-Torella here. It took me a while to get into Lovecraft Country because I am not like a jump, I don't like jumpy things. I'm not a horror person, but this truly is excellent. And if you're a fan of the Twilight Zone or sci-fi meets horror meets social injustice, Lovecraft Country is 1 million percent for you. I also love that this interview this week and last week are back to back because um, these duet interviews with creators and collaborators of shows just give such great insight to how things get made and why people work together. And I thought this week I would share a few ideas about how we make authentic connections in the business. They happen in audition rooms, on set and in networking in general. So first off, work begets work. And in this business, you are your reputation. As a casting director, I'm always trying to remind actors that the job you're auditioning for that day for me and my team is only part of a larger ongoing audition, right? I'm seeing you for this one thing and you may not be perfect for that role, but really it's an opportunity for the casting team to get to know you better. They want to add you to their database, explore your talent further, and think of you for additional projects in the future. Secondly, and this goes without saying, but be professional on set. It's the best way to connect with your castmates, your director, your producer. Be prepared, be early, have ideas and insights. Be ready to share and play and work on set. Your artistic perspective matters. Thirdly, Keep in touch with the folks you meet on set and in theaters, right? Take interest and support their careers and their other projects. Don't just get in touch when they have that audition you want to get in for, right? (laughs) There's nothing worse. (laughs) And I think that one of my most important things is just to be kind and polite to absolutely everyone that you meet on set, in auditions, you know, in theaters, etc. From intern to director. I uh, may have already said this on the podcast, but in this business, no one is looking to stay on the ground level. We all want to ride up to the top floor. And when we find collaborators, we tend to take those connections with us. On to the casting calls for this week. There is a tiny house commercial casting for bilingual English and Spanish speaking voiceover artists for three roles for a national TV commercial. It's a nationwide work from home project. So take a look if you have those particular skills for that casting. In London, there is a fun brand spot for a cleaning product. It's shooting in two weeks. You have to be in the London area. They're seeking a real family to be filmed for a fun news video. Take a look. And finally, we have a big open call from Silverberg and Harris Casting for the lead in a new MGM slash Amazon pilot looking for a teenage boy who plays basketball. 
Details on the site for all of those. And as always, we have hundreds of castings for every type of actor in every region on the site. So head over to backstage.com to check those out. That's all from me. Break a leg in your upcoming auditions and have a beautiful week. In the Envelope is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City and Soundbox LA, Mark Rouse Studios, and Buzzies in Los Angeles. Thanks as always to our producer extraordinaire, Jamie Muffet, and to the team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com, and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage by using the code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. That's right, 100% free. For more exclusive content, join us on Facebook and Twitter at In The Envelope, and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Would you like us to interview next? Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another glimpse in the envelope.